America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off Show is not legal advice. Instead, it is a weekly look at all the buzz surrounding autonomous vehicles, drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. Welcome! And in the past couple of shows, we've been looking at various phishing, IoT security devices, and as we begin this first segment of the show with the bust or must look, the weekly list of all the things that are great and all the misses in technology, we have some repeat uh, additions to the list. And first, a big kudos and a definite must to SpaceX for being able to successfully use, reuse a rocket in their various activities. So big things to come from them. Not sure I'm ready to jump on the uh, private space exploration bandwagon just yet, but big things to come. And, of course, you can't talk about Internet of Things, IoT, uh shenanigans or bus without giving at least a nod to the uh, recent researchers pointing out that certain adult toys that are IoT with a camera on the end uh, have been creating quite a buzz and not the good kind. Instead, the devices were uh, basically crafted and designed with little, if any, regard for security. And if you're going to have a camera going into the most intimate places, then perhaps you should at least have passwords or other security protocols that respect your users. So as a big bust, uh, certain adult toys are certainly on the bust list. But one quick nod to a must list edition, or at least a uh, an in-between, the Martha Stewart currently had a or had a DJI drone delivering goods on her cooking show recently. So not sure if that ranks quite as a must, but hey, that was good things coming from the Internet of Things and Drones, at least. And a little closer to home in Georgia, the FBI had been looking into a potential data breach or at least breach of some of Georgia's voting systems that were databases and records maintained at Kennesaw State University. And after lots of drama, news articles and such, the report was released that essentially nothing nefarious was going on. That while a security researcher did access some of the information that no violation of federal law occurred in the breach and that at no point the voting machines or other 
elections equipment was actually involved. So to that extent, it is a reminder that security needs to be a concern in elections, but at least in this case, it was much ado about nothing. Whether that will play out in upcoming elections and certain campaigns as the Secretary of State, who's in charge of Georgia's election systems, is has announced he is running for governor. That remains to be determined. But at least from the FBI's perspective, the hullabaloo was pretty much a bust. But the eye towards election security is a must. So there you have it, kind of a split decision. And speaking of split decisions, also comes up what happens in healthcare security. Because on the one hand, you want to encourage the public-private partnerships on addressing security, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of the rural and uh, smaller healthcare facilities don't have a lot of budget. So frequently they're getting used equipment that is not always patched or updated or may not be running on a current operating system or one that is very well maintained. And so what do you do? You need to, the patients need access to the instruments, the equipment. And so the House Commerce Committee recently held hearings looking into how to increase these public-private partnerships to direct a focus on security, which in recent news had stories that come out that even some of the most basic equipment lacked in these hospitals, lacked basic security protocols and were easily breachable. And you just can't have that when you have patients trusting their care and they don't have a lot of access to other uh, facilities. So in that case, you can find out more about what the committee, the testimony before the committee as they were looking at bolstering cybersecurity efforts at energycommerce.house.gov. And again, that's energycommerce.house.gov, where they have links to all the testimony that was provided, as well as some of the background memos pointing out some of the issues that they were discussing or the committee was looking at. Whether anything comes of that, well, it's Washington. You decide from there. But in a more shocking turn of events and serving as a very good reminder that what we are giving up by utilizing some of these tools for use of convenience and privacy and what we are not getting in return or giving up is a lot of control over our devices. When we talk about the Internet of Things, that it's very easy. We've often joked on the Buzz Off show about the connected coffee maker, that there's something nice about the idea of sitting in bed, pressing a button on your uh, iPhone app or Android app, And being able to start the coffee brewing without having to leave the comfort of bed. Well, 
On the downside, if something happens between your app, your mobile app, and the device, then it may not work. Or you may, you know, it may be leaking. Hack Hackers could use it as an attack vector, but you're not always expecting it to be the company itself that cuts off your access. And in what is playing out to be almost a humorous story on the internet, a homeowner had purchased an app that for $89 that would manage their garage door. And the app called Gradget, G-A-R-A-D-G-E-T, well, it had some technical difficulties. So the homeowner posted a review online and within hours, if not minutes, uh, the company decided that his review was rude. And so rather than fixing the issues, their response was, we are cutting off your, or we are denying uh, a server connection. Well, what does that mean? That means the company unilaterally, without warning, cut off his access to the server, to his garage door. Essentially, they locked him out of his own garage. So, okay, that's funny now, but chiming in on Twitter to the whole debacle was Elon Musk saying that, hey, you know, it's it must be a slow news day when a company that, you know, a bad review company cuts off access to their product is hitting all the Twitters. Well, okay, so we're laughing over a garage door and the fact that what the company considered a rude response when the, their app didn't work as it was supposed to. Well, what happens when it's your Tesla? And have any of us really, well, those of us who have caused to drive a Tesla, how many times do you actually read the end user license agreement, the EULA? And in this case, what happens if Elon decides you did not give him or his car a good review or you did something that generally they could interpret as a violation of the EULA and suddenly you don't have your car? So the first bust of that story certainly goes to Garagit, um, or Garagit, uh, for being so thin-skinned. Welcome to the world of mobile apps, IoT, and customer service that people get irate when they can't access or use a device as they're anticipating you can't just cut them off or you shouldn't when it's some things as, you know, access to someone's garage. So quite frankly, that is a big fat bust, but it raises the question of what happens when your car, we've 
joked on the show before about how Tesla rolls out their updates and how they handle different issues and what happens, you know, also with DJI drones. I've seen and there have been reports of software updates that lead to the device, the aircraft or the car bricking. Uh, in the case of DJI, you know, it means you don't have access the software's not going to run. It didn't update properly. Tesla, not so much. They have taken a much more controlled approach to how they roll out their software updates. But the general question remains the same. If the company decides they don't want you to access their product, it's a lot easier just to flip a switch, deny access to the server, and suddenly you can't get the information you need. So, you know, all interesting questions. Be curious to see how this plays out. And it also plays in the mobile apps and breaking into the general theme of the show as we introduce and welcome our guest, Georgia Weidman, who is a security researcher who works in the space of mobility and information security and penetration testing uh, surrounding such things. And she's written a book, gives classes at uh, around the country, but particularly at Black Hat. So we'll be sure to ask Georgia about her thoughts on mobile application, you know, mobile security. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. And today we are talking about everything mobile and security. Uh, Our guest, Georgia, I mean, literally wrote the book and turned 
that into training courses, which became the company she co-founded, Shavira. So, Georgia Wyman, welcome to Buzz Off. Hey, well, actually, I didn't co-found it. I'm the only founder. Ah, excuse me. The co-founder in the royal co-founding, the royal we, but uh, absolutely. So what, what do you do? What, what got this idea started? Well, I guess how you get the idea that I'm the co-founder, I'm one of the, I guess the typical way to start a company is you're the founder and CEO you're the business brains, and then you, you know, find tech people on the street to work for no money to build your idea. But I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm definitely the technical person, so I had to, you know, learn business, and I'm still learning business. But I, I brought on a CEO and also a COO to help me with the business side. So, but I'm still the only founder. Um, but what I do is a lot of things in security. I, I basically think that most of security is basically crap, which is not a very, I guess nice way to look at it, but you look at a lot of the things that you have in security, like you have antivirus, and you know, antivirus does one thing really well, and that's pick up like known threats on your computer. You know, you download some stupid game off the internet, and it's got something embedded in it that's going to hurt you. It's really dumb. Your antivirus picks it up, but it can't protect you from things like state-sponsored attacks. You know, China attacks you, your enterprise that you work at, because they want your stuff. They use sophisticated attacks. Antivirus can't help you. Security in general is a lot like that. It's very preventative. It's like we want to stop all the security threats. But you can't do that because attackers are just too smart. They're going to come up with something else. So what I well, they're, they're creative. I mean, you give them opportunity or ideas or thwart them, it, they're going to find another way. So how did you identify opportunities to take us on the offensive? Well, I think that, I mean, you always see, like, new vulnerabilities, and particularly, I mean, we we want devices that have so many cool features. You know, the idea, like, just thinking back, like, maybe 10 years ago, you, the idea that, you know, our toaster would be on the Internet, the idea, really, that anybody would be on the Internet, you know, I, I guess I'm right at the right age where, like, there was the America Online when I was a kid, but it wasn't the idea that, like, you know, people who weren't tech-savvy, like, my, my parents were very tech-savvy, so we had the Internet, but not most of my friends, they didn't get on the Internet. The idea that everybody and everything would be on the Internet, and, you know, everybody from, you know, old people to young people, really, really young people have, like, smartphones that are, you know, tracking them, and they have all these devices that it, I feel like that's really changed the way that we deal with technology, and there's so many more ways to attack everybody, and it's really put us into an interesting state, both as, you know, individuals, as companies, as governments. I mean, everybody really needs to start taking security seriously. And for so long, you know, security was like, oh, that's what, you know, hackers do with. Exactly. It was an afterthought. I mean, if you think about it, I'm sitting around looking. I've got my iPad, my laptop, my phone. I have another phone for work. I mean, I probably have five Internet-connected devices within arm's reach, not to mention my, you know, at home where you've got all of your heating, cooling, security, cable, you know, the coffee maker, they're all connected and using, in some cases, the same Wi-Fi networks. Right. It's, and a lot of stuff is so, you know, not to use the word mobile, but, you know, your 
that your smartphone or your tablet or your laptop, you know, it's going with you when you go on a trip, it's going to work, it's going to the coffee shop. So it's entering so many environments with so many other devices that could potentially be malicious. So maybe it leaves home in the morning and it's fine and all the devices else in your house are fine. Then when it comes back at the end of the day, it's been compromised and now it starts attacking all of your other devices in your home. And then, you know, you fix your phone, you get a new one, whatever, the other devices attack it again. So it, it makes for really interesting ways to, like, pivot between devices because they see so many other devices. Like, traditionally in an enterprise, you know, desktop computers see other desktop computers and they see the firewall and they maybe see the website somewhere that they connect to. But they now we've got a lot of different stuff entering and exiting the enterprise. You know, contractors are coming, people with their, their phones, people, if somebody brings a game console to the break room because they want to play. And these are all devices that are now part of your, you know, enterprise security hygiene that you know nothing about. Well, and I think that's the key is you don't even know what from a corporate or business environment, even a home environment, what are the jokes that you walk into someone's house and you immediately need to ask, Alexa, are you recording? Or get the Samsung TV. But those are just some of the obvious jokes. You you really, truly don't know what is all entering your you know, physical environment but as you hit on it it's a mobile world yeah very much so i mean i mean you said you had like the ipad and stuff i mean like how often does like siri come up and say like you're not using siri but it comes up and says i didn't understand that you want to tell me she's not listening to you all the time of course she is well, so now that we've scared everyone, uh, what are some of the solutions? Or, I mean, because that's that's your sweet spot is identifying what's going on in an environment. Well, I think that I mean it's the important thing is really to be proactive about it. Like I said, that there's so much about people are just trying to prevent the unpreventable. Like, there's a whole industry of threat intelligence, which. You know, people make a lot of money off threat intelligence, but I I think it's all, like, nonsense because, you know, it's basically finding the low-hanging fruit. Like, threat intelligence lets you find viruses we already know about, IP addresses that have attacked people in the past. The really sophisticated stuff is not going to use that. Those are the script kitties, so to speak, like hackers who aren't very good at it. So, I mean, you're really got to look at things like, I am going to potentially be targeted, I am potentially going to fall victim to things, and you want to look at it to make yourself as security savvy as possible. So if you are attacked, like say by a phishing attack, so somebody's trying to target you, you may notice things about it that, this looks like a phishing attack, I know what phishing attacks look like, this looks like one of those, I should be scared, and then not click on it or not do whatever they're trying to get you to do. And on top of that, like, Notice that they are potentially going to be able to get in, and when they do, make the impact as little as possible. What I really work with with enterprises is, yes, you're going to get breached. Everybody gets breached. It just happened. What you want to do is make it so when you are breached, it's as little of an impact as possible. I mean, security done very well. You can be breached by a really sophisticated attack, and you don't lose anything. Everything is hardened so much buy things like penetration testing, which is what I do, which people think when I say penetration testing, either I'm testing, like, Mont Blanc pins for how well they work, 
or I'm doing something in porn. I don't know what a penetration tester would be in the porn industry, but sometimes don't ask those questions because you may not like the answers you receive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book called penetration testing, so I get it a lot like penetration testing. Ha ha. Um, well, and, wait, you raise a good point with, with your book. I mean, you wrote the book that's being used in classrooms around the country. Uh, when I say you wrote the book, you truly wrote a very well-received uh, kind of how-to guide. Uh, where can folks find that? Well, it's on, like, all the usual sites, like Amazon and stuff, but uh, directly from the publisher, like, they'll give you, if you buy the hard copy, they'll give you a free ebook as well, and it's got the best prices. So it's No Starch Press, which is, you know, like, the best place to go for really technical books. Um, but, uh, I mean, when I went to do it, it was, I think, in hindsight, now that it's been so successful, it's hard to look back on it and see that it was kind of a risk at the time, that you know, there hadn't really been anything like that. That, you know, people always wanted, like, really hardcore technical books that nobody could follow, but they would never admit they couldn't follow it. You know, it would just be like, okay, I have no idea what they just said, and I'm really tech-savvy, but, you know, I wanted to write something where someone, you know, who knew how to use the computer could go and figure out, you know, how to do the penetration testing thing, like, without a lot of background knowledge, where it went through all the steps, it, it had you build the virtual machines, and... And actually do the hands-on stuff, and, you know, it was a lot of people were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but a lot of people have written me and said, you know, you're the reason that I have my career at all, and that's probably the best thing anybody could ever say to me, except maybe, like, I'm going to buy your company for a billion dollars. Like, that would be slightly better. <laughs> but, yeah, well, it's, you know, you it's did, pretty cool. You did receive the 2015 Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu Pentest Ninja Award. I'd say that's a pretty good indication of how folks are receiving because you you put together a primer from, as you noted, the crafting that environment or kind of step one all the way through the mobile uh, testing as well. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Like, it starts with the basics, and that's, you know, we do a little bit of everything in it, so it's, you know, you kind of, I, I hope that people, you know, they work through it, and they find a part that they really like, and they want to go deeper in that, be it, you know, mobile, or, you know, post-exploitation, or exploit development, you know, I tried to do kind of, like, bits and pieces of it, so you would find, like, what your research area was going to be, and then, like, I finished it with, this is a research project that I did, now go to your own research project, and speak at a security conference, um, that was kind of the idea that to like get them to that point where they're ready to you know jump off and, and join the security workforce and security community. Well, and even from a you know we try to give tips on the Buzz Off Show on things you can do even if you're not in the security industry, and one of which is setting up those different uh, Wi-Fi networks within your home, even so that the coffee makers on one, you're connecting through work, you know, the laptop on a more secure, you know, a different one, so that. It, is the segmentation, but that's a lot of what y'all are helping companies prepare to do as well with uh, Shavira, right? Yeah, I mean, we do that, you know, on a large scale. Or, I mean, our idea is, you know, train your users about the kinds of threats that they're going to fall victim to, um, the things they're going to see in the wild, as well as get an idea of what your vulnerabilities are and you know, if there's 
if there is a, a breach, like, what's that going to mean to your enterprise? Like, it may mean a lot. It may not mean much. You know, if there's a, a compromised phone that walks in and, like you said, it, it all it can do is get on the guest Wi-Fi that can only see other guest devices. I mean, that's not going to mean at all the same thing as if it gets to VPN into work and has direct access to, you know, all your super secret corporate data or even if it just gets access to corporate email. I mean, think about all the stuff that's in the attachments. Um, so it really, it could vary from enterprise to enterprise. It could vary even within an enterprise, like between job titles, you know, the development team versus, you know, the help desk will have access to a different data potentially. So, I mean, this is not a one-size-fits-all thing, particularly with mobile because, you know, despite the fact that the iPhone came out 10 years ago, like, Mobile security, mobile in the enterprise is still you know, not something we've completely figured out. Now, now you're, you're also going to look at the mobile issues when people are using drones with iPhones as payloads. They're running, you know, war driving or other sniffing programs that mobile means so much more than just a passive recipient. But We'll have to get your thoughts on that as well as some of the other applications when everything connects to our iFi our iPhone app. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And today we are talking with Georgia Weidman from uh, the company she founded. My mistake earlier, not co-founded. She is the boss, Applesauce, uh, Shavira Inc. And 
Georgia, we were talking before the break about what, you know, all the different attack vectors in the mobile world, and be it the concerns from an enterprise basis, you know, a company, but also the coffee shop, your house. I mean, everything is a potential uh, vulnerability or opportunity for one of your devices that's connected to everything else to be compromised. Yeah, I think we're we're used to thinking in a traditional environment, like our devices only talk a certain way. You know, they're either like plugged into an Ethernet cable or they talk Wi-Fi, and that's how they get their information in and out. And if you can monitor that connection, you've got a pretty good idea about what that device is talking about. With these new mobile devices, everything from, you know, your smartphone to your smartwatch, your connected car to your Internet of Things, you've got so many ways that they talk. You know, they they talk to some mobile modems of some tower or or satellite out in the ether. You've got them talking Wi-Fi. You've got them talking something like near-field communication and Bluetooth. And they've got all these different ways that they talk and can't really monitor a lot of that. I mean, you think... And we have something sitting at the perimeter of our enterprise. We have the firewall, you know, the big bad firewall that monitors everything going in and out of our enterprise. But now with these different ways of communication, you can't monitor that. So you're putting all of your security at that perimeter with the firewall, and then your corporate data is walking out through text message or through Bluetooth. (laughs) Or even, as we mentioned before, through the, you know, a drone flying nearby because you haven't secured the printer, uh, wireless printer connection, all of your data that's going to the printer is going directly to that drone. Yeah, it's been a thing, actually. There's been a real push lately. I guess HP decided they wanted to do, like, a bunch of ads about printer security, but, like, as long as I've been doing, like, security, printers have been kind of like the the unsexy vulnerability, because it's a printer, but you think about it, a lot of the ones that you have in the enterprise are not the same kind of printers that you have in your home office. They're like super printers, and they're storing a lot of it. Like a lot of them, they just basically have like a files directory that stores everything that's ever printed out, which a lot of times in corporations is really sensitive data, like, you know, HIPAA and all those violations abound. And, I mean, some of them you can basically log into them, like, for remote, like, uh, like taking care of um, maintenance and stuff. And, you know, if you can log into them, of course, with the default password, which is no doubt, like, Cisco Cisco or whoever made them, um, then, you know, you could potentially use those as, you know, a pivot point to attack other devices. Because they trust the printer. They print to it every day. So, you know, see the printer pop up. Yes, we want to accept this connection. So, yeah, printers are are definitely a big, scary part of the enterprise. It's, like I said, I, I feel like HP keeps putting out ads now about printer scary, but it's been scary for forever. Exactly. They're just now getting some airtime. And not to get too graphic, because I would like to keep our PG-13, or at least PG rating, but certain toys have been all the buzz this week. Uh, pun intended, because their cameras and general just connection devices had zero, I mean, laughable. I guess they were planning for future updates or something, but I don't know why you would need to Skype with your very personal, uh, intimate buzzing device. 
Yeah, I was. I saw that, and I was. I kind of had the same reaction. Like, why would you want a camera there? Um, <laughs> like, as a medical thing. Like, if this was, you know, a doctor's buzzing device. Uh, exactly. Yeah, as a consumer device, and I think that's a lot of the problem. Is like we as consumers, we we're like, oh, an Internet of Things thing for something like, you know, you don't really need. A connection. I mean, how hard is it to walk downstairs and put the coffee on the coffee maker? Do you really need to be able to, like, turn it on from your smartphone? And I think, you know, we get really seduced by the sexiness of it, That and, and this is, you know, no pun intended there, but it's like, you know, you really didn't need an internet of things. Exactly. There is no need for your toothbrush to connect, or I think I even saw one for, like, toilet paper rolls. If you can't figure out that you're out of toilet paper, you're in a whole world of mess, you know, trouble. Uh, regardless of, I mean, what are you going to do about it? But yeah, I think the better like solution for that would be like, you know, one of those like subscription systems where it like, <laughs> automatically sends you toilet paper monthly or whatever, as opposed to having an internet of things. But you know, what I've actually seen a lot of is actually kids' toys, like for really young kids. You know, if kids get older and they want to do like programming exercises, yeah, I see it. Like. But for like little kids toys that have that are connected, you know, I think that opens a lot of, you know, problems as well. You know, we saw Hello Barbie that was listening in and recording kids and uh you know. Exactly. Well it is uh we were talking about with David Maynard on a prior show with some of the you know, thinking of sneakers and if your biometrics, you know, your voice is your password and these connected toys are listening, suddenly you have all kinds of information. But if your voice is your password, well, there goes that. Hello, Barbie just recorded everything you said. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we've seen that. I guess I saw some stuff that said that, you know, an automated, like, telemarketer kind of thing would call you and then, you know, it would ask you a question that you would say yes to and that that would be enough to, like, get you into certain things, um, which, you know, that's, I think, a little more, like, voice recognition. Surely they make you say a certain word when you <laughs> voice recognition. Like, just saying yes shouldn't be enough. Um, but, I mean, it, it's certainly scary, you know, the biometric stuff. You know, we've seen instances with, you know, you can open everything with your your phones, your thumbprint now, and, it, you know, it was all over the news. You know, some kid, you know, parents were passed out asleep. They, you know, used the thumbprint mm-hmm. to buy a bunch of stuff, and it's like, well, obviously. But, I mean, that's always been the case with biometrics. <laughs> you know, you, they, I was going to say, what kind of childhood did you have? What all did you order? Uh, were you freaking with the phone uh, in your younger days? Well, it wasn't really. I, uh, I actually did a lot of programming. Uh, my mother... Got her PhD in computer science when I was, I think, three. So really young. It's pretty. I'm pretty sure it's my first sentient memory is her in her cap and gown. I do remember it, and I know I was really little and not remembering much in those days. Um, so we had a lot of computers. You know, my dad was a physicist. The whole like, you know, girls don't computer. Like, no one could ever say that to me because I knew it wasn't true. I was like, you're an idiot. Um, but I did. I didn't do any hacking because. Like, there wasn't, the way there is now, like, there's a big, like, ethical hacker community. You can, you know, Google ethical hacking. There wasn't even Google back then, you know. (laughs) I read a book, uh, like, it was about, like, three different hackers. It was, like, Kevin Mitnick, somebody from Russia, and then uh, Robert Morris, who wrote one of the first Internet Worms. And at the end of all three stories, the people ended up, like, going to jail and losing their scholarships (laughs) and stuff. I decided I didn't want to do that. 
Um, so it wasn't until, you know, I was in, in college that I got into hacking. But I was always doing computer stuff. My mom taught me C programming when I was really, really young. So I've always been into a computer. Well, there you go. And so when, how has that translated or how have you been able to translate that other than your wild success with your book and your career, but in working with clients and uh, with Shavira and also in the classes you teach, how do you translate that energy uh, and enthusiasm and knowledge base to your students who may or may not have as in-depth a background as you? Well, I try and, you know, really, like, start with the basics. Like, I I try not to assume anything. Like, I think that that's a problem that a lot of people run into with these highly technical topics is that, you know, I, having as much background as I do and studying it all the time, I all the time I'm looking at, like, blog posts or bug reports and, I literally cannot fill in the blanks between, like, what's written there. And I think a lot of people do that on purpose. You know, they want to show off, like, how smart they are. So, you know, they make it esoteric on purpose. And I really try and do the opposite. I try and make it, you know, I would rather people who do have the background have to, like, listen to me drone on for another 15 minutes than, you know, lose somebody. So I really try it. And I think that makes a difference. I think it makes it you know, a lot more approachable that, you know, I'm not assuming anything. And I'm like, you know, I know this is, like, really weird, like, assembly language stuff, but if we do it line by line, I assure you, you can understand it. Well, and what level of knowledge are you working with clients? uh, Or do the clients have, typically, who bring you all in to do some of your assessments? Um, It really just depends. Um, For services, um, you get everything from, I got this partnership with this bigger firm and they said we had to do security stuff now. So we're hiring you. Um, so that's, you know, the low end there are two people who, you know, they have a really mature security team. They're just, you know, looking for, you know, outside validation. And now that we're doing product stuff, I mean, we're more, you know, trying to get it so that the security consultants as well as like the onsite security teams can, you know, do mobile security testing themselves and make it less of, you know, we have to do it for them. So, you know, we are working with pilots with people who, you know, don't have a security team where, you know, we do it for them to get the reference pilot. But the goal is to make it so that, you know, everybody in security is able to do mobile security testing and we just provide the the products. Well, and congratulations, too, on the release of, is it, um, and I apologize if I mispronounce it, but is it DAGA? Well, I would call it DAGA, um, but actually, like, the correct way to say it is DAGA, but I Daga, like, yes. like Dagger, DAGA, so you know, <laughs> I like DAGA better, but I actually met a native speaker of Hebrew who's like, all the ways you say all your words are wrong, so I, should, I don't know, you can say whatever you want, you know. Well, I, very, <laughs> either way, it's pretty cool stuff that y'all are developing on the mobile testing. It's uh, it's really surprising to me because it started out, well, I shouldn't say surprising, but it started out, I got a DARPA Cyber Fast Track grant to do research into mobile security, and I released an open source tool just for, you know, other security hacker people, um, and just see it, it had always been my goal to turn it into an enterprise-worthy tool, but, you know, stuff like user experience and funny graphics and reporting, you know, those weren't my strong suit in the programming, so it has, it's really exciting to me to see it come to fruition to see it be you know mature tool that you know 
security consultants, that enterprises that anybody can use. And you know, it's, it's really cool to me. Sometimes I just stare at it and I'm like, that's mine. I am sure that is a, a little breathtaking at times to sit there and go, I did that. That was my vision. Uh, now, because mobile security, in addition, we were talking about kind of the broader, but mobile apps and everyone's putting this big reliance. I mean, especially if you're listening to talk about DC, everybody is, oh, well, I'm using this app or this you know, WhatsApp as a big one, but they're not getting the security they're expecting or are they? Well, in general, they're not. I mean, stuff like WhatsApp, you know, it's like secure end-to-end encryption, so they say. Um, But if the device is compromised, like, beneath that level, if you're looking at, like, an operating system level or even, like, lower than that in the hardware, um, it's going to be beneath WhatsApp. So when WhatsApp unencrypts it to show it to the user, you know, the attacker is going to be able to see it. So it's really a matter of just because it's secure in transit, it's not secure on either end if that device has been compromised. I think there you go. So hold that thought because we're going to jump to our last commercial break. But secrets of what's going on behind your apps with Georgia. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy, no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem you will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, on America's Web Radio. Find us on iTunes as well, Buzz Off Show, and any of your favorite podcast uh, providers. And we've been talking today with Georgia Weidman on really anything and everything mobile security to just security in general, and of course, course, you can't talk about mobile security these days without getting into the mobile messaging apps, including WhatsApp. So before the break, we were talking about how WhatsApp is just a, a top layer on a, on your phone, but the app itself may be secure. But Georgia, you were explaining 
it goes a little bit deeper than that. What are some of the issues people aren't realizing? Right. I think the problem with encryption in general is that, you know, it, it has to unencrypt at some point in order to show the data to the user. You don't want to see a bunch of encrypted stuff. You want to see what the person sent to you. So it has to unencrypt itself. And when it does to show it to you, anybody else who's also there can also see it, be it somebody who's, like, shoulder surfing you, you know, in a really untechnical way, somebody who's sitting next to you, they've just hacked you, to some attacker that has attacked your phone and has access to it, and they can basically see below the WhatsApp, so they can see that information. So I almost feel like security is part of the problem at this point. People get a false sense of security. WhatsApp says it's secure, so nothing bad can happen to me on WhatsApp, but what happens when somebody sends you a link? In WhatsApp, you don't recognize that as a potential phishing attack because we think phishing attacks only happen in emails. But it's a link you click on it, same sort of deal as your phishing emails, except it happened in WhatsApp. People aren't being trained about it. That's actually one of the payloads that we do with our software is we allow you to attack people over WhatsApp with the simulation. So they do learn about it. They do realize, oh, this is a way I might be targeted. I should recognize it as such. But I don't think. Generally, people no- realize that. I think that because it calls it your messenger, they, their guard goes down even farther. Well, exactly. I mean, you don't necessarily, oh, I'm messaging with this person. And as you said, it's encrypted. So therefore, it's it's secure, right? Everything about it. But sadly, not the case. How often do y'all, uh, because that is one of the services uh, Shavira provides is you go in and do these real-time testing environments and how often are y'all successful with a WhatsApp type uh, attack? Um, in general with these kinds of mobile phishing attacks it's almost like a 100% success rate. I mean the people you don't get are the people who are not paying attention that day. Or the <laughs> um, you're generally getting you know, be it, you know, a text message or be it a QR code, like you can do stuff where like you, you know, print out a poster for it's like a, a discount for the restaurant uh, down the street and people get to click on it or scan it with your QR code reader and it opens a website um, and they're attacked that way. Um, messengers like WhatsApp or Twitter. I mean, people just aren't being educated on this, but if you look at like the cutting edge of what phishing attacks are in the wild, like we saw, um, at the tail end of 2016, it was called the Trident Attack. It was, you know, a cool name. It had three zero-day vulnerabilities for iPhone in it. So there was a special, like, patch cycle for the iPhone. But what wasn't in the news was that guy who was targeted by that. He was a human rights activist in the UAE. He had actually been attacked three times before that previously, and he had fallen victim to it every time. So his Wait, government- the same attacks, he just wasn't learning yeah he he didn't realize it was an attack like a successful attack like it doesn't tell you that you've been attacked so you know he had he had been compromised three times previously like by different attacks and this was the fourth time he had been targeted but he had his government had realized that they needed to deal with him so they sent him to basically very expensive very exclusive security awareness training where they taught him all about like malicious text messages and things like that but you know we can't do that we can't one we can't afford the time to send all of our our people to like five days worth of training in the uae or wherever or to fly specialists in as well as you know the money the time and the money 
And being able to have a tool like ours where basically with the click of a, a button, you can simulate all these attacks in a controlled environment. Your users can see it. You can see what your impact is if you get a breach, that it allows you to do it. You know, it doesn't take anybody's time because they just go about their work day and somebody in the security team or the IT team reads the results and goes from there. So you're not taking up a lot of time and it's not that expensive at all, really. Please tell me you'll have kind of like a war room set up so that when you're successful with one of your attacks, it's kind of like in the, was it war game type simulations where you show the map and haha, look what we just did. If this, you know, if this map was your enterprise you know, and just show the lines of this missile hit here, this missile hit there. Uh, please tell me that's how y'all have it set up. Um, not really. Um, actually, the closest thing to that is there's a payload that lets you do, like, if you do compromise somebody's phone, you can get their GPS location, and it will show it on a map. Um, so, I mean, that's a... Okay, that's, that's still kind of fun. Um, if not, you're welcome to use that idea in your next uh, update for the software testing. Uh, I'm okay with y'all borrowing my idea, because... You know, learning is fun, right? Right. Yeah, we probably get, like, a lot of people that would buy it just for that feature. You know, in the startup <laughs> world, you see that a lot. You have, like, you know, a really great idea, and then you do, like, this one side thing that doesn't mean anything to you, and that's why they buy your technology. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I'm, th- again, Hollywood has told me that when you successfully hack into my computer, was it in hackers? I mean, I want somebody's, you know, a GIF yeah. image popping up and dancing across my screen. Yeah, but it's true. And like a, a sophisticated attack, a, a, a good attack, you would have no indication that you had been compromised. I mean, really, the problem with security is as an industry as a whole, we see the failures. Like even something like Stuxnet that was, you know, relatively so complicated and so sophisticated, we have to consider that a failure because it got caught. The ones that are really good attacks, we know nothing about. So, yeah, I think that Hollywood, like, you know, they, and that's why I run into that a lot with, like, news interviews I do. They're like, we want to see a demonstration of, like, an attack. And it's like, you wouldn't see anything. Or, you know, you see me, like, typing on my terminal, and it's like, this really doesn't play well on TV. So, yeah, it's it's something I've actually been working on a lot, because I get a lot of TV requests, and it's like, I need stuff that, you know, they can follow, even if it's just, like, an animation where it, like, walks through how it works, because in general, it doesn't really play well on TV. You know, if you know a hacker, they spend a lot of time, like, looking at decompiled code, and it just looks like mush to the uninitiated, so it really doesn't play well on TV. Well, exactly. It's it's never is sexy or interesting in reality. I mean, it's... I having watched code get compiled and written, it's a lot of Mountain Dew and up all night in front of a kid, but there aren't, you know, Halle Berry is not sitting there in the room with us, you know. No, typically not. I mean, you're you're lucky if you have anyone sitting in the room with you at all. I think, you know, startup founders and hackers, and I'm both of those, you know, it's a very, like, you know, people don't really put up with that. It's like, why would you work, like, 20 hours a day every day for this? Like, how is it worth it? So, typically, you know, we are loners, not necessarily by choice, but because nobody will put up with it. Well, and so how how do you translate, again, you know, when you're working in these environments where most of your testing 
is successful. How do you translate that conversation to the uninitiated? That it's a company that's hired you to come in. Obviously, you've breached them every which way. They've clicked every QR or scanned every QR code y'all threw at them. How do you have that come to Jesus talk? Well, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, really, the best time is the second time you do it, and the results are so much improved um, that you see that. It really has made a difference. I mean, the worst customers are ones where you come back and they have all the same vulnerabilities because they really just wanted to check a box anyway. But, I mean, customers who do take it seriously, who are improving, and, you know, people who go home and, like, you know, tell their their family or, or their friends, hey, I saw this thing at work today, and it was like, did you know you can get fished over a text message? And then that's further getting the message out there that it's like, and you always hate to be the bearer of bad news, and it's always like, yeah, we, we killed you, but I always try and do, like, the things you did right and, you know, the things you've improved from last time and things I see on, uh, you know, other people in your industry that, you know, you're doing a lot better at. So, you know, I try and keep it you know, positive as possible. Well, absolutely. What What do you see? Are there trends in how these attacks are, are vulnerabilities, or what do you What are you on the lookout for these days? I'm always on the lookout. I think for. I mean, my big thing is just that I feel like as an industry, we're primarily still doing security wrong, and I get that. You know, I go to pitch events. And I see, you know, people pitch, they say, I've solved security, our application will save you from all security things, nothing bad will ever happen to you ever again. You know, you think as much money as we've dumped into security, like, if it was possible to fix it, we would have by now. Security's just going to continue to be an issue, and I get it, you know, if the uninitiated, why would you buy something like what we do, where it's like we, you know, help you with your, you know, user anti-phishing behavior modification. We help you with impact analysis. We tell you where your weaknesses are. Why would you buy that when these people over there say they can save you from all your problems? Like, I get why this happens, but that doesn't work, and what we do does work. So I think that it's really just a matter of we've got to change the perception of security as, one, a problem that is going to go away because it's not going to go away. You can't just make it go away. And, I mean, two, just getting people to look at security the right way is something. I mean, it's it's kind of like you think about it in, in uh, like, war or battle. It's like you know, we're always, like, running scenarios against the last war that we fought, whereas our, our new enemy is, you know, coming up with new tactics to attack us. I mean, you know, we're doing all this stuff about airport security still when I'm sure, you know, the next people are going to try and attack us in a big way. Um, it's probably not going to have anything to to do with running airplanes into buildings, but that's you know how we do security. We're always dealing with the last thing that we saw instead of the new thing that we don't know about. Well, it, you raise an interesting point. We we are constantly chasing after the last you know attack. When, you know, as you point out, being aware that we can segment our networks, our devices, you know, being aware that there's those underlying currents that are running through stuff that we need to be aware of, you know, with the WhatsApp, that it's also you're only as secure as your device, your links. But where can people find out some more information about what you're doing? Well, we are at Shavira.com, and that is S-H-E-V. I-R-A-H dot com and you can we actually have a community edition of our tool which is free so you can download it and try it out. You don't have to be a super security savvy person to use it. Certainly that helps but 
you know, anybody can download it. And we are giving out actually trial license of the professional version just for feedback right now. So if you do want to try it out, get the extra features, we'd be glad to hook you up with a license. And, you know, if you just give us your feedback about what you'd like to see, you know, we'll let you use it for a little while for free. Um, so, yeah, definitely go download it if you're interested. I, I'd love to get more people using it. I just, you know, want to know what the people want at this point. It's my vision, and now I'm trying to make it everybody's vision. Excellent. Well, thank you, and I encourage everyone, thank you to Georgia for joining us. Go check out Shavira. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Tune in next time. Find us on iTunes. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. Until next This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.